Elijah's recovery. So Mr. Bulldozer, Bulldozer of Faith, I mean the word the Lord has spoken to him and he's gone and he's run over and romping, stomping. He's not afraid of kings. He's not afraid of armies. He's not afraid of anything. He's worked at a daycare. He's, he's not afraid of anything. And so he's invited to go to Mount Carmel and there that he pulls up a lawn chair and he watches them practice from morning to evening doing their ritual and they're dancing. The drummer shows up and the dancer shows up and from... Then he starts saying, oh, this is born, and he's mocking him, and he goes, maybe your God's asleep. Let's wake him up, play a little louder, dance a little harder, and blah, blah, blah. And I mean, you know, and the Bible says from morning to evening, it wasn't a big deal. And when they got through and they were exhausted, he says a couple things, prays a couple things, and the fire comes down and consumes the sacrifice, and something happens. The next verse will tell you in 1 Kings chapter 19. Ahab goes back to Jezebel and says, I want to tell you what Elijah has done. And like I told you, isn't it amazing that Elijah didn't do anything? Ahab should have said, we need to repent here because I just watched the impossible happen. It tells you that people can sit in a church and be in the very presence of God and his power and still not get it. You know why? Because I've been doing this for 33 years. But he didn't. He should have said, man, we need to repent. I just watched fire come down from heaven. And man, by the way, you're, all your priests, about 900, they're all... So she sends a letter. And she said, I'm going to get you. And he absolutely goes, ah, a letter. Ah. If she could have killed him, she'd have sent a sword with a messenger. She just sends a letter. And off he runs. And I'm not going to re-preach this, but I'm just trying to get you back up to speed. And now then, he's about 90 miles in the wrong direction. And the reason why he runs, and anybody that's a good Bible student, here's the answer. Watch this. This is what I've been talking about. He said in the presence of a false religion, and you need to be very careful. Somebody asked me in 33 years how many people's been in this pulpit besides me and, and Brett. Ask me. Who hasn't been here long? Ask me, Jamie. That's none of your business. But besides that, <laughs> two. Bobby Ann and John Sheesby with James Robinson, two. I'm not a pulpit hog. I'm just, I'm very concerned who comes. And, and, and distributes, it's either, it's, it's, it, may be, it may be good for you, and it may be poisonous. And this is where we begin. The breaking of the loaves and fishes has nothing to do with the loaves and fish. It had everything to do with the expansion of leaven. He said, I can break loaves and fishes to prosper you. But he said, the leaven of the Pharisees does the same thing. It can take a little bit, but it will leaven, it will expand, and it will poison you. False prophets will poison you. I'm not telling you it's like standing in front of a Mack truck and you run over. I'm talking about religion. It's a form of religion that all you got to do is put a little bit of rat poison in three square meals a day and you're gone. So, Mr. Elijah said in the presence for the first time of a false religion. First time. No big deal. It's a TV preacher at 3 a.m. You're delirious. You'll believe anything. You've been raised in a certain church, in a certain denomination, and it all looks good. So was the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They agreed on the first five books, and, 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 and they divert, divided a little later on along the way. But they all had something in common. They believe in Moses, and they believe in God on the mountains, and Sinai, and all that. But the problem was they inserted leaven in it. My job for you, as I'm not here to discredit any church or any denomination, my job here is to say this. Are you growing and prospering, or are you still being poisoned by the leaven? I don't care how big your church is. I'd rather be the head of something small and light than the head of something big and dead. I drove by the cemetery. There's a lot of things there that ain't nothing going on. <laughs> Are you with me? Absolutely. You should have been here last week. They really got it. So if you're visiting, usually I preach about 12 minutes and we're over. How's that? Is that good for y'all? It works for me. So now Elijah, for the first time, this is why he went nuts. This is why he went crazy. This is the reason why. Some of you wonder, this is why. They got in the presence of a false pagan worship service. 
And you say, oh, I would never do that. Be careful what you just said. Because all through the book of Hebrews, he's defining what is Jesus and what is junk. It's kind of like chef surprise at the Chinese restaurant. What's in it? Well, it had feathers anyway. Oh, yeah. So now then, this is where we're at. So we found out, the Bible says the angel baked him a cake, brought him a Domino's pizza, and he touched him. We found out that it's transferred in the, in the Greek language. Touch it means to fold the arm around. You shall lay hands upon the sick and they will recover. We, we went through this. Laying hands on the sick has nothing to do with the emphasis and I believe in, in prayer. I believe in laying hands on people, and we're going to deal with it today. But we found that last week we have to do exactly what the angel, the greatest healer in the church, watch this, is this, is to put your arm around someone and love them. You shall lay hands upon the sick, and they will recover. Therapeutic. You shall lay hands upon the sick. We went through the Greek about this. What laying hands on the sick, it means this. It means to fold the arm around. There's people that come in the door today. You barely made it, but I'm glad you're here. But I'll tell you, you know scriptures. You know about the Bible. You know everything. But I'll tell you, nothing can heal you as fast as this. Someone putting their arm around you and say, you know what? I love you. <laughs> and we found out that recovery is a process. Therapeutic. It's a process. It doesn't happen overnight. It's the word healing is not the work of miracles. Healing is the OMI. It means, it means completion through increments. Jesus, 90% of the time, healed instead of working miracles. You need to study on your Bibles about that. A lot of the things that Jesus did, I believe in instantaneous healing, I believe in miracles, I believe in that, but don't get them confused. Healing is a process through increments. Process. And we, we are trichotomy. We have mind, body, and soul. We have emotions, and, and we have spiritual man, and, and then we have feelings. But all three of these, it works in our life. So now Elijah was met by the angel. He's about 90 miles in the wrong direction. And the angel bakes him a cake, brings him a pizza, and he says, the journey that's ahead of you is long, so eat up. So what happens is, is that now then when we begin this story, that the angel touched him twice. He folded the arm around him. He didn't say, you bum, get up, you big old knucklehead, what a goofball, you sissy. He didn't do that. He got down on the ground with him, and he put his arm on him, and he loved on him. He just loved on him. And he said, listen, God's not through with you yet. Eat your dinner, and, and God has a plan for you. So this is where we begin. So now then, he's got a great idea. Now, you've heard me say this, but I, I want you to understand this. There is a difference between good ideas and God instructions. So he had a good idea, but it wasn't God's instruction. Some of you have brainstorm, but really it was just a thunderstorm in your, in your brain. So when he kind of got revived, he said, hey, yeah, yeah, this is all right. I know what I'll do. I've lost the goosebumps, and I've lost the feelings, and I, I went in the wrong direction, and I'm 90 miles away from where I should be. I know where I'll go. I'll go where Moses went to find God. And it's 180 miles in the other direction from here to Tulsa. He's going to go to Mount Horeb now. Some of you ask the question, Mount Sinai and Mount Horeb, same thing. It's, it's the same thing. It's a Sinai desert. They don't call it the Horeb desert, but it, Moses went to Mount Sinai because the mountain was in the Sinai desert. The Mount Horeb and Mount Sinai is the same, according to whatever Jewish writer you want to learn from. It's the same. So this is where Moses met God, and there was thunderings and lightnings, and, and the mountain was on fire, and they heard a voice. It sounded like one of them boom boxes going down the radio, you know, boom, like cats in the dryer, boom, boom, and you hear that. And, and, and they thought, and they, when he came down to that face, they said, we thought you were a goner. There was lightning, and there was fire and thunder, and the mountain was smoking. And Moses said, no, I'm good, but here's, here's God's top ten list he wants you to keep. So he got a great idea. So he goes to the north, 180 miles, and he winds up to Mount Horeb. He says, because this is where Moses found God. Now, warning, what I'm about to tell you. Where, whatever pattern your parents set for you, thank God for that. And if it was good, thank God for that. But listen, whatever God did to your parents may not be exactly what he wants to do through you and to you. Amen. Well, what I'll do is I'll just do this because my mom and dad, and I'm glad they did that, but that may not be exactly God's instruction for your life. It's a good idea. So he had a good idea. So off he goes. So here, here we go with this. So now then he's 180 miles in the other direction. Have you ever run from God? 
I'm not looking at you, Brandon. Brandon, have you ever run from God? But I'm still not looking at you. What kind of feeling is that? What kind of feeling is the prodigal son? Watch this. That, 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 that being a prodigal is measured by smiles, not miles. Rebellion is measured by smiles, not miles. Because I'll tell you, he had a brother that was in just as much of rebellion, but he lived on the farm. So don't be talking about pimps, prostitutes, and plumbers. I'm talking about you sitting here in the church. See, I told you we're going to deal with 11. And we're so worried about them other people, and God's worried about you. Have you ever been somewhere, and you're so far from God, and, and, and you're so far in your heart from God, but yet you're sitting in the church pew? Don't look at me that way. I know that feeling. And you know what? I don't like it. I want to be near him. I want to be so near him that I, I feel his breath, and, and I carry his essence. So now that Elijah got a great idea. Hey, this is a good idea. I'm going to go where Moses got the glory. So off he goes. And this is a great story. Let's, let's read a few. First, first Kings chapter 19, verse 8 and 9. So he got up, and he ate, and he drank, and he sat out, and he was nourished by the meal, and he walked 40 days and 40 nights all the way to the mountain of God to Horeb, which is Mount Sinai of Horeb. Okay. And when he got there, he crawled into a cave, and he went to sleep. The word crawled in the cave is a Hebrew word. It means that it's, you're absolutely... It's, it's, it's a term of he's depressed, he's discouraged, he's done. Crawled in. Crawled in. Open grave. I'm done. Stick a fork in me. I'm done. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but some of you, you serve God and you love God and things didn't go in your way and you found yourself depressed, you found yourself discouraged, and finally you look in the mirror going down the road and you say, you know what, I'm done. I'll go through the motions, and I'll go because my, needs, my kids need to go to church, but I'm done. I'll sit there. I'll go, but I'm done. I wrote God out of my, my wish list, and I, evidently he wasn't paying attention. I'm done. I've been so far from God so long. I haven't felt his presence. I've, I've had good ideals, but I'm done. He crawled into the grave. And so what's great about this, let's, verse 9 says this. So when he got to the cave, he crawled into the cave, and he went to sleep. And then the word of the Lord God came to him, saying, Elijah, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? Not that you would, but if you've ever been in rebellion God, and whether it be sitting on a bar stool or smoking a joint or breaking a speed limit, God said, what are you doing? What are you doing? Giving your wife a piece of your mind, whatever piece is left screaming at your lungs, and God said, what are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing here? And, and, and so Elijah said, sir, yes, sir, Brigadier General Elijah here reporting. I'm here to report to you. And God said, Re and he's lying. He's lying. He'll get to the truth a little bit. He said, what are you doing? So he said, I'm here to report. I'm here to report that Israel has banded your covenant. They've destroyed your plans as worship. They've murdered your prophets. And oh, by the way, they're trying to kill yours truly. He could have just said, I'm, I'm in rebellion and I'm trying to find you. But that's not what he did. He's not owning up to nothing. Boy, it's amazing what stunts you'll pull when you're in rebellion. Thank you for that. You're right. The rest of you are going to hell. We'll come up with some goofy things. Jesus said, all oh, the man, you know, said, man, he said this. He said, I want, bid them to come to me. And this is what he said. He said, well, I would come to church, but I just married a wife, and I got to go meet her. That's what it says. How foolish is that? I just bought some property. Now I got to go look at it. People's got all kinds of excuses. So he said, what are you doing? He said, well, he said, this is the deal and that, and they're murdering, blah, 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 blah. And he said, now then they're trying to kill me. Verse 19, 11, 12, which what the message says this. So God says, now he told them, go stand on the mountain and, and stand at attention before God, and God will, say that with me, God will pass by. So this is what he said. He said, okay, knucklehead, go stand at the mouth of the cave, stand there at attention, and God will pass by. All right? That's what he told him. So somewhere that he's still within the perimeters of the cave, 
He's still wrapped up in shame and guilt and fear and depression and anxiety. He's still done. It's still over. And even though we talked about this last week, if you remember, those that wasn't here, his whole, his whole time that God ever moved him, God spoke to him. But when he came to the point where he got, he, he, he got part of that religious service, it took an angel to visit him. Never before has that ever happened. That he had to have a physical angel to come and talk to him. And I will tell you, we're no different. We're not rehearsed last week, but I'll tell you, it was pretty powerful. That sometimes God will speak to you and God will speak to you. And that sometimes we have deaf ears. And fortunately, God will send along angels, messengers. Write this letter to the pastor of the church. Write this letter to the angel of the church. Agalos, messenger of God. God's so interested in your future that even on the inside, when no one knows that you want to give up, God will send the angel to you and say, you know what, Jeffrey? God is with you. God is for you. God has a plan for your life. God will send angels your way to reinforce his calling in your life. Because sometimes when you have deaf ears and you don't want to hear God, God will send an individual, an angel, your way to reassure you that your steps are ordered by the Lord. So now then, he stands in the cave and so now God says, go to the mountain and God will pass by. And he says, and, and so he stands there, and he says, a hurricane ripped through the, the mountain and shattered the rocks before, but God was not, it, it could be found in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but God was not in the earthquake. Next verse. And after the earthquake, fire, but God wasn't in the fire. So this is what happens on a simple elementary Bible school lesson, is that he says, Elijah, what are you doing here? And instead of Elijah just saying this, I missed it. I missed it. I said under false teaching, it got in me. I didn't think it would. I listened to a false preacher on TV, and I, I thought it was a joke at first, but it got in me. I listened to some wrong music, and it got in me. And I found myself 180 miles in the wrong direction. I don't like it. I'm not the husband I used to be. I'm not the wife I used to be. I'm not the son I used to be. I'm not the Christian I used to be. And it all started right there. I didn't think it was a big deal. I thought I was invincible. I'm going through the motions. And I got good ideas, but good ideas are getting me nowhere. So God says, I'll tell you what I'll do. Just stand right here and God will pass by. And the Bible says, like it was in Moses, my goodness, the, the earth began to shake and rocks began to bust, but God wasn't in it. The wind began to blow and God wasn't in it. Fire came down and whether it be fire, lightning, thunders, we get the idea. It's the best words they could use. And God was not in any of it. And after the earthquake, but God wasn't in the fire, and after the fire, a gentle whisper, a quiet whisper. God wasn't in the earthquake. God wasn't in the wind. And God was not in the fire. And when Elijah heard the quiet voice, watch this. He wrapped or, his, or muffled his face with a great cloak, and he went to the mouth of the cave, and he stood there. And that quiet voice asked, So Elijah, now tell me, what are you doing here? Now, for some of you that are good Bible students, and I know some of you are, the King James uses the word small, still voice. And the Hebrew word for stall, small, still voice is a word called daman, where we get a word to communicate without opening the mouth. So in, in small English language, it would mean something like this, that you'd ask me, are you hungry? And I'd go, mm-hmm. <laughs> Do you like Don Dixon cooking? Mm-mm. <laughs> Is my wife good looking? Mm-hmm. <laughs> the principle of this, watch this, is that he has been Mr. Stormy his whole life. He has been Mr. Earthquake, Mr. Thunder, Mr. Excitement. And all the years has caught up with it, and he found out, even if I lived a life that was on, on the side of being demonstrative and demonstration of power and thunder, the end result is this. It left me want to die in a cave. 
I need something more. Some of you that have been raised in a circle that you've got to have power and might and, and, and all this stuff and fluff and stuff and all this stuff, and, and you wouldn't admit it, but you, 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 you find yourself alone in a bedroom saying, is this all there is, is thrills and frills and roller coaster rides? Is this it, God? You know how I know that? Because I did that about 25 years ago. And God said, I'll pass by. And so all these other things passed by and all the signs and wonders and the miracles and all that stuff. God blew by and the mountains fell apart and God blew by, but he was in none of it until a quiet whisper. And when he heard a quiet whisper, he came out of the cave and God was in it. Dominant is a word that means that God said from now on, I won't work through you, and I won't reveal myself to you through signs and wonders and miracles. Now, some of you know this, but when he anointed Elisha, which is not his twin brother, when he anointed Elisha, from that moment he anoints Elisha until he goes to the Jordan River, Elisha follows him last for 10 years with no miracle. That's, that's kind of odd, because you would think Elisha would say, teach me how to do that. The reason I'm following you is because you can show me how to pull a rabbit out of a hat. And Elisha follows him for 10 years with no miracle. But Elisha, watch this, Elisha was not following him for the, for the, for the miracles. He was following Elijah because he was the man of God. There was something about him. Dam means this, or Daman means this, that God said, I'm going to communicate with you without opening my mouth. It's a shadow of the Holy Spirit in us. Are you with me? Yes. I mean, are you with me? Yes. Is 12 minutes up? Yes. Remember what I said in John 14 and 27, for you that are new, it's talking about the comforter, and he said he shall teach you all things and bring to remembrance that word teach is where we get a word, the scolos. It comes from the word scolos, where we get a word for scoliosis. The word teach doesn't mean to instruct. That word means this. Scoliosis is a curvature. And he said, when the Holy Spirit comes, watch this, the first thing he's going to do is untwist you. Some of you have been so twisted in your mind, and your, your past has twisted you, and you've got scoliosis. You're curved over. You're twisted up. You can't move. You can't function. And he said, the first thing when I leave, the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, will come. The first thing he says in John 14, 27 is this. He will teach you or he will scolosh you. He will untwist your twistedness. And then I'll bring all things to your remembrance. I'm so glad that the first primary purpose of the Holy Spirit in our life is not signs and wonders and miracles. That's what he does. That's not who he is. We found out a few weeks ago in Acts chapter 7 when, the Holy, when Peter spoke, the Holy Spirit fell. That word fell is the original word that when the prodigal son's father fell on his neck. When the Holy Spirit is really in the place, it's not how high we can jump and it's not how loud we can sing. When the Holy Spirit, when the Word of God is preached, when the Holy Spirit really falls, the primary purpose of the Holy Spirit is to do nothing more than this, is the Holy Spirit will fall and love him. Pig poop and all. And so what happens is when the Holy Spirit enters our life that he begins to untwist our twistedness and then he brings things to our memory that we can operate and flow in the gifts of the Spirit and the ministry of God. This is what I'm telling you. If you're not careful, our past has twisted us up like the word iniquity. Iniquity is where we get an English word for wicked or wicker furniture. It's twisted. That's what iniquity is. Something's twisted, bent over by definition of the Hebrew. Somebody stepped on a tree sapling and it grew crooked. That didn't break it off. It just grew crooked. That's what iniquity means, to be twisted. Boy, Elijah was messed up. Oh, I know that you've never been, but Elijah was messed up. See, what this is, basically, this whole story is really, it's all it really is, it's, 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 it's about to be, a, God is fine-tuning one of his instruments. He's given Elijah an attitude adjustment. Okay? 
So you can kind of you can kind of get ready because we're almost done in about 12 minutes. We're almost done. And what's going on? There's a fine tuning going on here. Watch this. I'm not saying you're not of God. I'm just telling you that God's in the business of fine tuning. Now these guys up here that plays guitar, I got a teacher that says this: tune it or die. And we have six strings, and we have four strings, and, and I kid every once in a while, I said, I got a pair of wire cutters in this piano bench. I'm telling you, if you don't turn that thing, I'm cutting them strings. <laughs> what God is doing, he's fine-tuning his instrument. He's trying to get him in complete tune and harmony with him. And so what he's about to do is giving him an, an attitude adjustment. Matter of fact, he's no longer going to be referred to as Mr. Shake, Rattle, and Roll. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 32 says this, the result of righteousness will be peace, but the effect of righteousness will be quietness and assurance. Righteous men and women of God are like islands in the seas of turmoil. That's what we should be. The result of, of righteousness, and Dr. Sunni is a word for right standing. So when you see the word righteous like, if, if you're visiting, like atonement, like atonement, say atonement. If, if you're new here, atonement is so interesting because the, the Greek word for mint is like e, the end of mint, M-E-N-T, is with. And when you take the word atonement, it has at one with God. Atonement means at at dash O-N-E-M-E-N-T. Atonement means I'm at one with God. Atonement. Righteousness is, is the same lesson. It means not only is my heart right with God, but now that my mind is right, my spirit is right, my emotions is right, and the word irony means this, that my heart it has peace with God because we share the same righteousness. The effects of righteousness, the result of righteousness or being right with God is peace. But the Bible says the wicked knows no peace. And what does the Bible say? He promised to leave us in peace, not in pieces. But the effects of it is confidence and assurance. And the righteous men and women of God, we should be like islands in the seas of turmoil that people can come and find rest. There's something about it that all of us go through things. All of us have disobeyed God. All of us have, are, find ourselves in the wrong directions. All of us has got F's on the report cards. That's nothing new, and that'll continue to happen. Some of God's greatest servants of God made bad mistakes. We understand that. But one thing about it is, is that he promised us the Holy Spirit. And just like he did Elijah, he said, what are you doing here? first thing we can do, we need to be quick to repent. I'm sorry. I won knucklehead of the year right under Mike Boyette this year. I, I come in a close second. But I love you. I'm, I'm, I made a bad decision. But I, 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 want, I want back in, in fellowship with you. And by doing so, that he gives us peace. And by doing so, then we have confidence and we have assurance. Now, the great thing about this, that when, once, he heard, once he heard that still small voice before we go home, something shifted on the inside. Number one, his courage was revived. His strength renewed. And his calling was restored. John 10, verse 27 says, in the New King James, my sheep hear my still small voice. So now and then, this is where we draw the dividing line from the professors to the possessors. We live, in a, we live in, a, in a religious circle that the biggest and the loudest and the fastest and the, and, and the most combustible is evidently signs of God. But if you learned anything the last three weeks, we found out today it's not. God was in none of these things. 
And even though it was big and rocks was blowing up and fire coming down and all these things, but he said he wasn't in that. Elijah was not changed. He might have been impressed, but he wasn't changed. He was only changed and he only come out when he heard this still, small voice that resonated on the inside. We've got it backwards in the church. We think if we can turn the volume up and what we lack in intelligence, we make it in volume. And if we can get it louder and we can darken the sanctuary and, and, and we need some strobe lights, and I mean we need ZZ Top or XX Top, we need somebody to get you motivated, but that can motivate you, but it'll never change you. Only God. And that still, small voice changes you. And when he heard this small, itsy-bitsy, insignificant whisper, a whisper, isn't it amazing you go to a restaurant? But you got a couple, I mean, they're in a restaurant, and you know, over, and they got a little candle lit, and, and uh, I mean, they're, they're whispering, they're leaning over whispering, and you'll break your neck. I wonder what you're talking about. <laughs> Versus he's propped up, oh, yeah, I remember the time, you know, it just pushes your way. And I've always said that once you kind of light that candle, that candle draws. It draws. But if you set the table on fire, it does the opposite. See, I'm interested in the candle of the Lord setting this place more than I'm trying to burn the place down. So, I mean, all the razzmatazz and the lightning and the thrill and the confetti, and we run three shetlands to the church, and, and you're still left here. You might be impressed but you're still empty. God wasn't in it. Oh, you can fool everybody, but you can't fool yourself. It's like Simon the sorcerer when he, through the book of Acts. When the disciples come through town doing certain things, Simon the sorcerer come in the middle of the night and said, listen, I tricked these people. Watch this. But he said, you guys got the goods. I've, I've tricked everybody, but you guys are real. I want what you have. So what happens is that in this whole process, my sheep hear my voice. This is where we're at this morning. I really don't care what you've done, what you've accomplished. I just want to know, can you hear him whisper in your heart? Can you hear him? When everything's going wrong, can you hear him? Be still and know that I'm God. I mean, when everything is absolutely going in the wrong direction, I mean, can you hear him? He said, my sheep, they can hear me. See, the, the gauge that I want to talk about this morning before we go home is this. He was fixing to get an attitude adjustment, Philip. He'd been doing things abruptly, harsh, demonstrative, and God said, I'm fixing to change you. But what I'm going to do now then, you're going to have to listen. Isn't it amazing, Mr. Silverton? Isn't it amazing that he says, blessed is he that can hear. He didn't say blessed is you that can speak, talk, and have five different languages. He said, blessed is he that has the ear to hear. Because Isaiah says, the man that, Give me the ear of the learned that I can have the tongue of the learned. Because people that have a hearing deficiency will always have a speech impediment. And Isaiah said, the first thing I want to be able to do is hear you correctly. And if I can hear you correctly, then I can speak a word correctly. If you don't hear correctly, you can't talk right. So the Holy Spirit this morning is here to tell you, forget all the, the thunder and the lightning and the Shetland ponies and the confetti. Forget all that stuff. Forget all the fanfare. Forget it. Take an examination on the inside. You're still empty. You're still hurting. You're still wounded. You're still depressed. You're faking it, but you're still going to motion. The only thing that will heal you and cause you to come out of the cave, if you will, is that small voice that will just speak and reverberating in the inside of you, just reminding you your love, your life matters, and you're important. You're making a difference. You're mine.
And when everybody else doesn't want anything to do with you, you're still mine. And I don't, I'll tell you from, from past experience, that's the greatest thing that God has ever given me is the ability to hear him. So here we go. We close. Everybody says, thank God. So he's changing. I mean, God calls fire from heaven, raises someone from the dead. He does certain things. And now then God says, I got a new assignment. You know, one thing about it is when God changes, he changes your characteristic. He's changing him. So this, he said, this is what I want you to do. Boring. Ugh, boring. You know, he, he's used to doing the, the impossible stuff. That's exciting. Like jumping off of buildings and stuff like that. But now then, this is fixing to be boring. He said, I'm going to put you in the anointing business. Boring. And he said, I want you to go back the way you come. And I want you to go find Hazel. And I want you to anoint him king. And I want you to find Jehu. And I want you to anoint him king. And oh, by the way, you'll find an old sod buster by the name of Elisha. You anoint him. And these three men will change the course of, of their lives. And he does. And the rest of that story is not for today. His assignment was to anoint men that would change their world. So James chapter 5, verse 16, this is where I wanted to end, or 14, last week. Is any of you sick among you? Where we get a word for asthenase or asthma? Feeble, out of breath. Is any of you this morning feel like you're going to crawl in a cave and die? You look good. Turn to somebody and say, oh, you look good. You sound good. Melissa, you sounded great this morning. But what's going on, on the inside? Oh, did you hear that guitar play? Woo, could he play? But really, what's on the inside? And I, I tell you, I, I just don't want to fake it till I make it. I want to know him. You need for me to know him. You need me to be near him. Is any of you this morning that you're sick or asthenized, you have asthma, you're, you're about to give up, you're, you're, out, you're exhausted, you're just out? Then let him call for the elders of the church, the mature ones, and let them pray over him and anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. So God gave him an assignment to anoint men. But back then in those days when you anointed people, when you anoint somebody today, you, you take it, something on your finger and, and you anoint them and it's all good. But back then, they did one of these. When I said God's about to fine tune his instrument, God fine-tuned me years ago, and I learned this 20 years ago, and it changed my life. See, when, I, when again, when I first got in church, we went to Assembly of God Church, and I'm glad for it. Thank God for it. It was a great start of church for me, and I loved God. I, I loved God. I, I mean, I just loved him. I, I couldn't see straight. I just loved him. didn't know anything about the Bible, but I loved him. But, but when I first kind of started the church, and somebody come to me, and, and let's, say, let's say Brad, of course. Brad... Brad came to me and said, I want you to pray for me. Absolutely, what's wrong? Well, well, I got this. And the first thing that I was programmed to do, Jeff, is do this. Well, you got a devil, brother. Everybody knows that. Or what happened? Well, it's your fault. Yeah, I'll pray for you, but I want you right, to know right now, it, it, it's your stupidity that got you in this mess. So I'll pray over you. But because you did that and you did that, I'll tell you right now, I'll pray over you. And it won't be much of a prayer, but I'm going to pray over you. And, and see, my concept of that is, is I was judging you, not really praying for you. I wasn't interceding for you. I was trying to tell you, I was trying to bring up your report card. But this is what I found out through the years. Watch this. I was a little hard. What I was trying to say. Does anybody know me to be hard? Please say, no, Mark, put your hand. You're going to hell. Put your hand down, Mark. I'm half Jesus and half George Patton. It's, you just bring out the other side of me every once in a while. <laughs> so any of you sick? Let him call the mature ones to church and let them pray for him. So the way that I used to pray for people is, oh, I'd, I'd, I'd anoint you in 
off I'd go. But now that I understand the concept of what God was doing to Elijah, he said, I want you now to be in the anointing business. No more fire from heaven, no more, no more any of that stuff. See, when you anoint people with oil, not that we're going to do it today, But the more that I lay hands on people and pray for them, the oil heals the calluses and the roughness in my hands. And my wife of 40-something years can tell you that I have not always been kind. I've not always been gentle with people. But the work of the Holy Spirit, the, the more I pray for people, is the more that I anoint my hands, and I found out the more oil that I can get on my hands, the softer my touch is. You can't help it. You cannot help because all of us, we get hard. All a calloused is, is an injury that never healed. And we've gotten so calloused because we've been injured and we never got healed of it. And it all heals it. And I've learned through the years that everyone that walks through this door, whether you're sick or not, whether it actually be actual oil or the Holy, Holy Spirit in my life, I want God to so give me the opportunity to anoint every one of you on a weekly basis that what it's really doing it's really helping you but it's really helping me and mark i'm a little kinder aren't our son yes i'm a little bit more gentler i'm a little bit softer to the touch my disposition is a little bit more easy than it used to be people hadn't changed society hadn't changed but i changed if any of you are sick this morning, and any of you are weak, and any of you are tired, and any of you are exhausted, and any of you this morning that absolutely just want to give up, I'm here to tell you you're in the right place because truly God will pass by this morning. And he may not flip over pews, and there may not be fire come down from heaven, but I'll tell you one thing. You will absolutely hear him speak to you this morning before this thing is over in a small, quiet way. And in that process, the Holy Spirit will give you the opportunity to, to anoint your hands with the, the oil of God. And instead of being critical to one to another, just let the Holy Spirit soften your hands that your touch is a little bit more gentler when you pray for people. Instead of saying, in Jesus' name, you're just stupid, don't say that. I've been to churches where they're a little hard. I've been to churches where the dresses were too short and the hair was too high. Take that makeup off, put some on for God's sake and all that stuff. And I found that all that was was just gimmicks. It never takes the place of actually God speaking to our heart in a soft way. So here we go. Close your Bibles. You didn't even have a Bible. Jeremiah says it like this. As the moth is drawn to the flame of the candle, oh Lord, I'm drawn to you because of your goodness. Father, in this place this morning, we have many Elijahs. We're all just like him. We love you. We have assignments. We have callings. But somewhere along the way, we've allowed something to, to eclipse of of really who you are and what you've come to do in and to and through us. A broken home, a broken marriage, a broken relationship, financial frustrations, a false prophet, a false teaching, a bad experience of a church. Someone cut us off in the parking lot. Something happened and we found ourselves a long ways from where we should be. We have a lot of good ideas. We read a lot of good books. 
that we found out even reading a lot of good books and listening to tapes and sermons, nothing, nothing satisfies us like only you can. Father, your word says in Genesis 1, all through creation ten times you said, let there be, and there was. Let there be the sea, let there be light, let there be the earth. But when it came to man, you didn't speak it, you touched him. You reached down into the earth and you touched man. And we've been longing for your touch ever since. We're at a place in this world that we hear so much, but we long for you to touch us this morning. And to remind us that we belong to you. So I ask on the behalf of myself and my family and this church family, I ask you, Father, that in the midst of lightnings and thunders, in the midst of turmoils and tragedies and wars and rumors of wars, in the midst of a commotions on every hand, I ask you, still give us the ability to hear uh, when you whisper to us that we belong, that we're yours. Our life matters. So every Elijah this morning, Father, I pray that that would begin. That you'll just speak to their heart going down the road. In the middle of the night, when the tears have saturated the pillow because of wayward children, grandchildren, we all know. We just need to hear that whisper to remind us that you're still with us. So you this morning that have, you understand correctly that you found a cave and you want to crawl in it. You're depressed, you're discouraged, you're done. You may be done. But God's not done. And he'll speak to you. And he'll be a whisper. And it's a loving whisper. And I encourage you this morning, let the Holy Spirit saturate your hands on a daily basis. Let this all heal the calluses. And pray for one another. Love one another, and your touch will be softer wherever you go. Now this morning, someone came to me before church and said, listen, I, I need some prayer. I'm having a couple situations and I need prayer. Absolutely. My sister, if you'll stand right where you are, we're going to pray for you. Thank you. Father, there's none like you. In your presence, there's peace and there's joy and there's health. There's life. You made this body, you know. And not only are you the, you're a healer, but God, you're a Jehovah Elohim. You're a God that is a creator. You can recreate blood vessels and veins and that needs to be there. Not only did I pray for her, but we lay hands upon anyone this morning that is sick and hurting physically, mentally, emotionally. We just anoint them. We cover our hands with the Holy Spirit and our touch is soft and it's easy. We love you and we want God's best for you in your life. So I pray God that healing and divine help will flow her way and she'll make her living and reputation by anointing others with a soft touch. In Jesus' name. Amen. How many blows that God is good this morning, huh? Give the Lord a praise offering today, would you? God is good all the time. Stand with me if you would, please. The 70 come back one time and they said, Master, 
My goodness. We can cast out devils. And Jesus spins around. He said, that's, 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 that's fine and good. But the thing you should be thankful for is to know that your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, that you've been called by God. This morning, we celebrate Holy Communion in this church every week. Every week. Some of you say, well, why? Because we've been commanded to. That's why. It was the last thing Jesus told us to do. Because somewhere in the formula of the cup and bread, in a reenactment of the suffering and the crucifixion of Jesus, we remember him. Now, some of you this morning, if the communion service will come, I, I want to give you a good Bible lesson that I've learned, but this is, for some of you, I was raised in church that they told you to, to fill out a report card if you had anything in your life, don't take communion because it, you're heaping damnation upon yourself. Corinthians 11 says this. They said, let a man examine himself because if you take it unworthily, oh, you're heaping damnation upon yourself, the separation of God. And so I was always taught, man, if I hadn't done it right this week, I am asking for big problems till I was enlightened to what it meant. The word unworthily means in axios. It means your worth. Never take communion in your own work. There's only one that's worthy. So I'm here to tell you this morning, if, if you think that you got, have to have all your I's dotted and your T's crossed in order to take communion, you're being lied to by your enemy. There's only one that's worthy. Don't ever take communion in your own worth because now it's self-righteousness. So Paul gives us the instruction that only he gives us. He said 1,500 years ago, Jesus said that your, your fathers celebrated this, this Passover. They took the bread, the, the unleavened bread, the bread with no leaven, and he broke it. And he says, but now I'm the bread of life. I'm the one that came down from heaven with no sin. And he took it and he broke it. Jesus became broken that you could be whole. And then he took the cup, which is the third cup, which is the cup of redemption. And he said, for 1,500 years, you've been celebrating the shedding of the lamb's blood, taken in place in the shape of a cross. And the death angel, the Abaddon, would fly over. He would pass over you. But he said, now then, I am the lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And my father will take my blood, and he will place it in the shape of a cross. for the forgiveness of your sins. Father, every time that I take the, the bread and the cup, it reminds me of your goodness. So bless this cup and bless this bread and let it find health and life to our bodies in Jesus' name. Amen.